We're on the news line with Jordy Comas of Lewisburg. Uh, we know him as a Democratic activist around here. He is a very active community and political organizer. We've talked to him about the Hub for Progress, which is based in Lewisburg but serving the entire region. He's one of the founders of that. And I used to listen to him on one of my favorite podcasts, but he hasn't done it in a while. The Barnstorming podcast is idle while he works on a wide range of other things. Is Barnstorming coming back, Jody? Um, uh, yes. Uh, but um, a little bit like if you're a fan of George R. R. Martin's books, as I am, um, uh, you're going to have to wait a little while. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So Barnstorming, yeah, just some fabulous uh, uh, Thank you. Information that was on there, and super great guests they sat down with you. So I always looked forward to those, and I'll look forward to more. Uh, you are working on uh, supporting campaigns right now, not directly uh, using some of your experiences and talents to work on a campaign, but you're in the supporting crew, supporting uh, Democrats and supporting people that are uh, helping to make the elections happen. Explain these nuances between folks that are the real campaign workers for a particular candidate and the work like you do, which is out in the community, just making sure that the uh, politics is brought up and talked about, and in most cases that Democratic candidates supported. That's a great question. Uh, so there, there, you know, what, what, if, if you're somebody who's in a community and you get a phone call or someone calls you or before COVID, you know, someone would come to your door and knock. Um, I'm sure it kind of looks like one seamless uh, operation that's out there, whether it's supporting Republican or Democratic or other other party candidates, although, you know, we don't see a lot of that around here. Um, and I, I think it's worth people, this is a little bit technical, but I, I think it's helpful for people to understand that because of campaign finance laws, there's basically two things going on most of the time. There's campaigns that, um, you know, are uh, in a sense like a business or a nonprofit. You know, they have a budget, they raise money. They, uh, for a state campaign, there's oversight by the Department of State to make sure that campaign finance laws are, are followed and at the federal level, the Federal Election Commission. And then there's, um, there's all kinds of, of people um, that, that are, we could call them maybe interest groups uh, or, or engaged citizens who you know, who, who organize on their own, and that's everything from, from unions to the NRA to um, value-based organizations, um, uh, whether that's, you know, uh, uh, you know, it could be anything like, I don't know that a Blue Lives Matter group is doing this, but it could be. <clears throat> and so those are sometimes called C4s, which is something that goes back to the federal tax code, a 501C4, is an organization that's allowed to talk about candidates, um, they're supposed to also be a public education group. So, you know, just to make this a bit silly, but to be nonpartisan, you know, if you if you really strongly felt that you know opossums needed more rights, so the opossum rights group, right, could be a, a C4, and some of their resources, you know, they raise money. People can give money to them. When you give money to them, unlike a church or a traditional nonprofit, you don't get a tax deduction, but you can, anyone can give money to the possum rights organization. And they would, you know, push for possum rights bills. They might endorse candidates um, and say, we really like, um, you know, um, you know, Jose Smith, who's running for office. Um, but the thing is that Jose Smith and the possum rights group, they're not allowed to, like, share information, share tactics, coordinate. They're not allowed to share things that are considered of value. So they couldn't give each other money directly, and they couldn't share things of value like a voter list or 
other things. So, um, so for for somebody like me who's not, I'm actually not paid by anybody. I do all this on my own. You know, I help candidates and I help C4 groups. Were I paid by either one, then I couldn't, in a paid way, work with the other. Um, does that make sense? Mark? Well, I can see the difference because you want to make sure that uh, you're not commingling people who are directly involved in a campaign and helping to steer it and guide it and get people to vote for a particular person, but you are just pushing for all possum rights. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The possum rights group in this made-up example could support Republicans or Democrats, and historically, more of that did happen. You know, Planned Parenthood 30 or 40 years ago had far more uh, Republicans. I think Barbara Bush was on the board or something like that. I mean, I'd have to double-check that. And... Um, and other ways, you know, the NRA, I think, historically um, had a more um, mixed partisanship membership. So I, 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 think, I think one can overstate that we're in a hyper-partisan time because I think a lot of average people actually aren't partisan one way or the other. But for people who are, if this makes sense, there, there is more of that. You know, even the ACLU, my father was a lifelong Republican, voted, you know, he voted for some Democrats. You know, he's what you would call a fiscal conservative and, and, and sort of socially liberal. Um, proud member of the ACLU, um, and even when he disagreed with specific stances, you know, he would give them money and, 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 and had his ACLU membership card. That's less and less frequent. Um, you know, there's research that shows in the 50s and 60s and 70s and before, marriages that crossed religious lines were, were uncommon, uh, but marriages that crossed political lines were more common, right? So the idea that there would be the Republican husband and the Democratic wife, you know, happily married, uh, is less and less frequent now when you do social surveys and you ask people they're far um, far less likely to marry across political values and far more likely to mix you know Catholic and Jewish or or you know Protestant and and non-believing or whatever so you know th 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 that's the background we're all in um, so uh, I don't know if that's sort of too much you know sort of deep background but like for me like I, I I'm interested in those things so in a given race in this cycle in 2020, I think that those those are important. That kind of partisanship and 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 you know I do think it's unfortunate. I would like to be able to have more conversations with people who who disagree with me about um, you know policy or political philosophy. Um, but it, you know if we're trying to do that, you know it, it's harder to do because the whole environment I think has people. Um, there's just less opportunities when people can can connect. Right and, and cross those kinds of boundaries, the political value boundaries. Where do you see our division going? You know, I mean, this is where um, I probably sounded like I just extended an olive branch to somebody who's going to disagree with me, and I would like to, but I don't think that the future, like I think, I don't think the future is you split the difference. I don't think that 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 the best thing for the country is midway between Biden and Trump, right? Like to me, quite clearly, Donald Trump, um, aside from policy things is uh, uh, um, so, you know, he, everything is a, is a game, and it's a game where he's the winner and everybody else is the loser. Um, and everything for now, for example, with the Postal Service and what he's saying there and about trying to, um, I mean, I, I think if I just look at the evidence, he wants to create an environment where people don't trust our, our election system because that will make it easier for him to say, for example, it was, he's already said the election, he's already said basically, if, if I don't win, the election was rigged. Um, so, so you know, I, I yearn for a moment of unity, but I'm not willing to say to somebody, well, we have a difference of opinion about this, right? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think we can have a difference of opinion about whether or not 
um, there's over policing and and policing puts black and brown lives at risk. I've seen I've seen all these videos. I've also seen all the statistical evidence. And you know I'm, I want to talk to somebody who disagrees with me about that. But you know what I'm saying, Mark? Like I, 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 there's no place where I can I can say like oh the truth is somewhere in between. And I think for a lot of folks we're used to saying and 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 to be honest, a lot of people in the media and the news media are like, well the Democrats say this and Republicans say that, so the truth is probably somewhere in between. I really think Trump is a existential threat to democracy. Um, and you know the RNC convention I watched a little bit of it last night. Um, you know, I watched the speech by one of his son's girlfriend, um, I can't remember, Kimberly Gilfrey or something. And, you know, she's laying out an apop- apocalyptic vision of what America is, and it brokers no middle ground. Uh, you know, and it's very similar to Trump's inauguration speech, where, you know, he, he laid out this very, you know, grim reality of what America could be, and he said, only I can save you from it. That's not that's not a rhetorical framework that invites compromise. For folks who are looking for balance on the Sunrise Show, we will have yeah. somebody who is a Republican activist on the show as well and provide that balance in the end, but not significant amounts of it today. There have been lots of activism around here today. What are Democrats and progressives doing around central Pennsylvania to get the message out? Yeah, I mean, I think every, you know, every election is trying to figure out, you know, how do you, how do you, what do you do um, when, uh, <clears throat> when one of the most effective uh, tools is off the table? Um, research shows that door-to-door, face-to-face conversations are by far the most effective thing to persuade voters. So if you're a Republican and you want to persuade people to vote for you, or if you're a Democrat, um, and, um, you know, it's, um, you know, I think America's always been a place of, you know, um, both of bucket brigades and innovation. You know, we we always have a, a spirit of rallying, and you know, on the um, on sort of you know among Democrats and 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 people who are identified as progressives, there's a certain amount of that. Um, so you know, what what can be done with phone calling? What can be done with text banking? What can be done to um, uh, there's something called contactless um, lit drops. So instead of it's like bringing literature to people's doors. Um, social media, you know, I think especially in our area, is more and more important. Um, I don't have the studies in front of me, but a lot of people get their information, like, first from Facebook. And I know that some people kind of clutch their pearls and they're aghast because, you know, Facebook and Twitter are seen as these, um, you know, seething, roiling seas of, of disinformation. And that's sort of true. But it, it, it also kind of assumes that everybody um, everybody's dumb, right? Like, I get a lot of my news from Facebook, but I also am paying attention to who's posting it. Um, so I, to me, that's kind of a, both a glass half full and half empty. I mean, you know, before the social media, how did you, you know, how did people know what to pay attention to? If you were at the office or you were, you know, at the VFW or you were, you know, at the hunting club or whatever, somebody like, hey, did you see blah, blah, blah? Well, that word of mouth is very common among humans. Um, I'm not saying it's exactly the same on social media, and, and Facebook does things to, like, change that. But th- this idea that, like, um, you know, democracy is going to hell in a handbasket because people get a lot of news from Facebook, like, I don't think that by itself is a problem. It's the kind of news, how they get it, how people are, are informed as news consumers about what they read. But more importantly, who puts out the news, you know? Um, uh, I think if you're an elected official, um, you know, be it uh, David Rowe, Joe Biden, me, it's incumbent on us 
to try and be honest brokers of information, especially when we're government officials. And I see an awful lot of um, of people not doing that, right? Even in things like how how do, what do we do about a pandemic? It's so politicized that that there are a lot of people who aren't aren't being honest brokers, and and that makes it harder uh, for people to know you know what, what to do. And Speak, I mean about COVID nineteen, real quick. I mean. It's not easy, right? Like, I, I am sure that Governor Wolf and Secretary Levine, um, uh, I am I, I, absolutely confident that they might have made some mistakes and there are things that they could have done better. But this idea, right, and, and Representative Rowe uh, has leaned into this, and I think a lot of um, Pennsylvania Republicans, that he's a tyrant who needs to be impeached, uh, it just seems like a real, you know, lack of focus. So I, I know several local Democrats who, who are talking about that, and... Uh, would like you know the 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 politicians in Pennsylvania to focus on what can be done, not to um, have a lot of uh, arguments about you know Monday morning quarterbacking and you know that that this is some sort of obscene power grab in the middle of a pandemic. There's a lot of campaigning underway, and one thing that's underway that relates to politics, but probably bipartisan, is a drive-in to vote. As our audience here, mm-hmm. it'll be tonight. Tell me what you know about that. Oh yeah. It's uh, organized by a whole handful of, of candidates running this area. Uh, Michelle Siegel uh, is running for Senate uh, against Gordner. Jackie Baker is running for Senate against Gene Yaw. Um, Katie Evans, who's running against David Rowe. Amanda Waldman, who's running against, um, well, I'm not, I'm not, can't remember her opponent, sorry. It was, it was the seat that Garth Everett had um, um, up in Lycoming County. And yeah, it's, you know, it's a drive in, it's a family friendly event. Come see Goonies. Um, there'll be a little bit of, of speechifying. Um, uh, some of those candidates, I think, um, are being given like just two or three minutes to say a few things at a few places. But you know, part of it was we need to have fun. You know, yeah, let's let's go to the drive-in. What a perfect American, you know, uh, fun night out that that actually you know is is uh, fits well with being COVID safe. You know, you can be in your car. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, Wednesday night, uh, and uh, I don't remember the time. Um, Probably pretty close to sunset. Sunset's uh, 8-ish, so probably maybe starting earlier than that. Right, right. I think it's called drive-in to vote, correct? It is drive-in to vote, yep, absolutely. That's on social media. So that's an example of that kind of innovation. No matter what you think about mail-in voting, the public's going to have to pay attention, and public servants are going to have to send out objective information, and we, the media, are going to have to disseminate some objective information. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. You know, Act 77 and then Act 12 changed voting in Pennsylvania, and I always think it's better for there to be more ways for more people to vote. Um, uh, and, you know, the Postal Service, like that's something in, in our parts of Pennsylvania, you know, if people have ordered veterinary medicine or um, baby chicks or medicine for people or other things, you know, we that's an infrastructure that we really rely on um, more deeply. It's, you know, I know in the big cities they might have these things. I've seen these Amazon, like, or like a drone drops an Amazon package. I don't know. But, like, we don't have that around here. So um, regardless of, uh, of that, I, I think it's a shame that, that, you know, the Postal Service has gotten pulled into this. And I would think most people, almost everybody, regardless of party, wants, you know, reliable, effective mail service. So that should be able to get worked out. But, you know, you basically have three ways to vote. You can go to the polling place like you always did. You can request a mail-in ballot that gets sent to you. And you can also go to your, your county uh, elections office uh, and, and fill out the mail-in ballot there in person. So people really do have all three options. 
um, and and that should be better for everybody. And you know, like you said, Mark, uh, I'd be happy to come on later, or I can suggest other people who can just purely talk about the process, because the more information people have um, is better. And you and I were talking before offline, but you know, um, I think people people want to trust that the election system works and 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 how we vote works, and and all votes are counted. And so when we make changes, there may be a good reason to make these changes, and I totally support these changes. But, you know, even if it weren't politicized and it weren't the middle of a pandemic, we need to do a lot to educate people, right? They're, especially if they voted the same way for 20 or 30 or 50, around here, 60, 70 years, and hats off to them, and God bless them. We need to help people understand what the change is. So that, that, that's true regardless, um, and, and everything you can do, I, I certainly applaud to help with that.